from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, happy Tuesday. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Congress is out this week for a Memorial Day recess. That means traffic is actually better here in the federal city, but that does not mean big government is taking a break. I'm meeting with the chairman today and Secretary Yellen uh, to discuss my top priority, and that is addressing inflation and, uh, and the, in order to transition from historic recovery to a steady growth that works for American families. Uh, Some people are wondering what he means by addressing inflation, whether that's to reduce it or increase it, because it seems as his policies are doing just that. That was President Biden earlier this afternoon before his meeting with the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, to discuss the historic inflation that Americans are experiencing right now. Now, the president and his administration, quite frankly, are doing their best to deflect attention away from their policies and their actions. You have the audacity to try to tell us that the economy is doing great. You know, just a word of advice. You can't spin the economy. Every person knows how the economy is doing because they're living it every day. That was uh, California Congressman Tom McClintock in a budget hearing last Thursday, a virtual uh, hearing last Thursday. We'll talk uh, in just a moment with Congressman Andy Harris of uh, Maryland. Also, speaking of spin, President Biden had an opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal today, essentially passing the buck of inflation to the Federal Reserve, Putin, and foreign freight companies. Now, less than a year ago, President Biden downplayed the threat of inflation as he pushed for more government spending. We also know that as our economy has come roaring back, we've seen some price increases. Some folks have raised worries that this could be a sign of persistent inflation. But that's not our view. Our experts believe, and the data shows, that most of the price increases we've seen are, were expected and are expected to be temporary. How did the president get it so wrong? Maybe he needs some new experts. We'll talk a little bit later with Steve Moore, a former member of the Wall Street Journal editorial board. We'll also get an update on the World Health Assembly meeting that finished up this past Saturday in Geneva. As we leave this place, as you return to your countries to implement the plans, the strategies, and roadmaps you have agreed this week, those children must be our motivation as we continue to work for health for peace and peace for health. That was the Director General Tedros uh, on Saturday. We'll find out uh, the status of those plans that they're bringing home. We'll also find out how the Biden administration ended up in their effort to give more power to the World Health Organization when Jim Roguski, a member of the Law and Activism Committee at the World Council for Health, joins us a little later. And remember this comment from Whoopi Goldberg about Archbishop Cordialone. Uh, barring Nancy Pelosi from Holy, Holy Communion because of her support for abortion? This is not your job, dude. <laughs> that is not, you can't, that is not up to you to make that decision. Well, support for the archbishop doing his job is growing among Catholic priests, and there is a reason. I'll talk about it with the FRC's David Clawson, director of our Center for Biblical Worldview, a little later here on Washington Watch. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. I encourage you to uh, direct people there. Also, I'll give you a little bit of a, uh, well, uh, I'll let you in on a secret. Tomorrow, after about uh, 30 years, a little over 30 years, 
the Washington update, which I've been sending out uh, every day, is changing. I'm not going to tell you any more than that, but tune in tomorrow to find out something that is uh, quite historic for the organization and something you'll want to know about. So be sure and tune in tomorrow as I talk about that. All right, the word for the day coming from our stand on the word Bible reading plan is 1 Samuel 26, 24, which reads as follows. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord and let him deliver me out of all tribulation, end quote. David again spared the life of Saul when he had the opportunity to make prey out of the hunter as Saul relentlessly pursued David. Now, David appealed not to Saul to pay him back for his righteous act of sparing his life. Rather, he appealed to God, the righteous judge. This is what I call the platinum rule. It exceeds the golden rule of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is do unto others as you would have God, who is perfect in his justice, do unto you. To join us in the daily Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. Um, before I get to this, um, the, the president, who's now focusing on the economy, because all of the polling shows this is a top issue for the American public, you know, a lot of coverage over the holiday weekend of the tragedy that took place in, in Texas. And, of course, the call being for more gun control. A failure to see the underlying issue of the, of the downward spiral in our culture because of a lack of respect for human life. And I, there's last week, the Secretary of Education appeared in committee. Uh, this is Secretary Miguel Cardona, uh, was, in commis- uh, was in the House Committee on Education and Labor last week. And uh, he said this. But I'd be failing you as Secretary of Education if I didn't tell you how ashamed I am that we as a country are becoming desensitized to the murder of children. You know, I have to agree with the secretary that we have become desensitized to the killing of children. In fact, it's been going on for about 50 years. As we have had unrestrained, unrestricted abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. In fact, uh, the party and the administration for which the secretary works for has continued to advance and try to what they call codify into law the ability to end the life of an unborn child and not even see the hypocrisy of their statements. Look, I think what what happened in that classroom in Texas was a tragedy. And for any child to be able to go to school, they ought to be able to go into a classroom and that be a safe place for them. There is no question about that. But it also ought to be a safe place for every child in America to be in the womb of their mother. And until we get the issue of the sanctity of human life right from the moment of conception until death, until we get that right, until we protect children who are most vulnerable in the womb of their mother, they're not going to be safe on the streets. They're not going to be safe in the classrooms. This is is a moral problem in America. And no amount of gun control is going to resolve this or any other proposal that's being put forth by those who continue to advance this culture of death. All right, the president today uh, coming out with an op-ed, also meeting with the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, to discuss the inflation crisis. 
Is this a making of the president through his own policies? Joining me now to talk about this, Congressman Andy Harris of uh, Maryland represents the 1st District. Uh, He is also a member of the Appropriations Committee. Uh, Congressman Harris, uh, thanks so much for joining us by phone today. Uh, My pleasure to be with you, Tony. All right. The the president um, slow to address this issue of inflation. We last year, less than a year ago, was saying all those worried about inflation, not a problem. My experts say that's not going to happen. How do you get it so wrong? Well, he did get it wrong. And, uh, you know, at first they said at first they said it wasn't going to happen. Then they said it was going to be transitory. Now they're worried that it's going to extend well past the election and that they're going to, in fact, lose the election because of it, uh, really, as they deserve to. I mean, he has access to some of the best economic experts. And it's not that it's this is a Republican Democrat issue, even uh, pre- former President Obama's economic advisors were warning, former advisors were warning this administration that they were overheating the economy with pushing for more government spending. I mean, this seems like pretty much basic economic uh, facts. I mean, you put more money into the economy, you're going to uh, you're going to drive up prices, you're going to drive up purchasing, and that's going to heat up the economy. Uh, absolutely. And when you when you combine that with the rising gas prices uh, because of uh, this administration's energy policy, this foolish energy policy, uh, you compound that and you create a spiral that's spiraling out of control. You know, I've, I talked to farmers in my district. They're telling me that, that when the crops come in this year, they're going to be expensive because the fertilizer is expensive. The fuel is expensive. Everything's expensive. Tony, we haven't seen the worst of this yet. Uh, the worst is yet to come. And uh, the American people are going to be furious because they have figured it out. When you spend that much money and you print it at the Treasury, this is the logical result. So, Congressman Harris, um, we have an election coming up. And as you said, this is going to uh, extend beyond the election, which is bad for the administration because they're going to have to stand before the American people and give account for the policies that have driven uh, this inflation. Can the Congress, if in the hands of Republicans, where you have the the president will continue to have the White House, uh, the Democrats will have the White House, but Republicans, if they have control of Congress, can they provide a check to slow down some of these bad economic policies being pushed by this administration? Well, we certainly can stop the reckless spending. Uh, You know, there will be no Build Back Better uh, plan, uh, which we call Build Back Broke, because that's what would have happened if we if uh, we had passed it. Uh, So we will be able to put the brakes on spending. But unfortunately, until this president uh, reforms his energy policy, which is a uh, a ridiculous energy policy, we should be energy leaders in the world. We should be driving the price of energy down. It's good for us. It's bad for Russia to have low energy prices. Uh, you know, this is a no-brainer, but until the administration does that, I'm afraid that uh, we, we can't solve. We can put the brakes on the inflation, but we can't begin to reverse it. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw economic growth during the Trump administration as they cut taxes, creating a record number of jobs across the board for uh, every sector of society. I, I want to switch gears for just a second, uh, Congressman Harris, before we run out of time, because I know you actually ran for Congress because of your pro-life positions. You you have a history of being pro-life, former doctor, uh, or your doctor. And um, is there a hypocrisy among those of the left that, you know, they, they, they talk about the children um, and the tragedy that took place in Texas, but they're, just as I played the uh, the clip from the Secretary of Education, refusing to recognize their policy 
their policies are actually devaluing the sanctity of human life. That's absolutely right, Tony. You know, the policies of, of the uh, liberals and, and especially this Biden administration sends a message that human life is actually not valuable. Uh, and whether it's whether it's the end of life or the beginning of life, uh, you know, in a mother's womb, uh, the message clearly is that, that someone can make a choice about whether someone else lives or dies. And that's just that shouldn't be allowed in a civil society. But, Tony, it's a result of, again, the liberals pulling back from any religion, uh, forcing a secular society upon America. And in a secular society, uh, there is, uh, you know, moral equivalency. There is, uh, or I should say, moral neutrality. I mean, they're, they're people who just don't understand what's right and what's wrong. And uh, this contributed, uh, I think it contributed in a large way to the tragedy in Texas. I, I could not agree with you more. I, I think you're absolutely uh, right. Congressman Andy Harris, always great to uh, talk with you. Thanks so much for taking out time to join us today. Thank you, Tony. Congressman Andy Harris of Maryland, as I said, uh, a great uh, pro-life leader on uh, Capitol Effect. He's one of many who are here because of these issues, sanctity of human life, the, the issue of religious freedom, the family. Uh, they understand this, and that's why they are here. They feel called by God to be here. And I think, folks, we've got to speak up, and we've got to challenge those on the left who are you know, just breaking out every time some tragedy happens with the same worn-out talking points that trample upon freedom. They don't address the issue. All right, coming up next, uh, Steve Moore joins us to talk more about the president's economic plans that he laid out in the Wall Street Journal today. That's coming up next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Join Family Research Council on an exciting two-year journey through the Bible. FRC's Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan helps you to dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into the cultural issues of the day. God has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. By studying the Bible, we can see God's plan unfold throughout the past and be encouraged by how the truth of Scripture is still relevant in our current day and will be into the future. The Stand on the Word reading plan engagingly and thoughtfully takes you through the daily scripture to help you stay grounded in God's truth. You can start this reading plan with Family Research Council today. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your family and friends. Visit frc.org Bible to begin this journey through the Bible today. Although most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, studies show that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. That is why Family Research Council's Center for Biblical Worldview was created. The center serves to help Christians understand the importance of Scripture, why it must be authoritative, and how it can equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC Center for Biblical Worldview provide resources to help prepare believers to give a scriptural answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access these free resources at frc.org worldview. See the center's latest blogs, op-eds, and publications by signing up for the newsletter at frc.org worldview email. Do you want 
want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Again, search Stand Firm and download the app today. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. Be sure and check it out. Earlier today, through an op-ed appearing in the Wall Street Journal, President Biden laid out a three-part plan for fighting America's elevated inflation. And that was before he passed the buck to the Federal Reserve. He again claimed it was exacerbated by Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine. And he tried to assure the American people that they should have confidence that our economy faces these challenges from a position of strength. But, but how much confidence does the president's plan really give, especially when you know how economics really works? I mean, again, just about 10 months ago, the president was saying those that are warning that the economy is overheating and that we're seeing inflation, he was dismissive of that. And at the same time, pushing for more government spending. Um, this is basic stuff. Well, joining me now to, uh, to break down and analyze the president's plan for fighting inflation is economist Steve Moore, who is a senior fellow at FreedomWorks and co-founder of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, and he's the former president of the Club for Growth. Stephen, welcome back to uh, the program. Hi, Tony. Good to be with you. So the president started off his op-ed by saying America is in a position of strength right now, stating that the job market is the strongest since post-World War II era. How much truth is there in that? Uh, Look, the jobs market is strong, no question about it. How long it'll stay strong, I'm doubtful. I'm really worried about the economy slipping into recession. But but, uh, yeah, we have 10 million jobs open. So if you're looking for a job, this is a good time to do it. And you might want to lock in a job now because I am worried about where we're headed. Now, the other side of the equation, of course, Tony, as you know, is that we have this out of control inflation that we haven't seen you and I since, you know, the late 1970s when Jimmy Carter was president. And that's causing real hardship for families. One of the things that uh, that Joe Biden said, there were a lot of falsehoods in that piece. And one of the things he said is uh, American savings are up. No, they're not. American savings are being depleted by this inflation and they're not rising. And now Americans are actually having to because of the high prices, they actually have to spend more money out of their savings just to pay the bills. Well, that was one of the questions I want to ask you, because yeah. I'm wondering if some of that savings is because of the supply chain issues. They can't buy the new car. The car costs so much. Uh, they're not able to buy the new used car. And so there is more dollars in saving. But the buying power has uh, slid significantly because of inflation. Well put. That's exactly right. And incidentally, on that issue of you know buying a car, I was uh, giving a talk to the Auto Dealers Association in Colorado about a week ago, 
And I remember talking to a number of these auto dealers and I talked to one, he said, you know, normally Steve, I have about 800 cars on my lot. And he says, right now I have 50, you know? So that means that people are actually coming in and to get a car, you have to wait four, six, eight weeks. Or if you want one right away, you actually have to pay more than the sticker price, you know? So instead of haggling down the price, you actually have to bid over the sticker price. That's inflation. And it is causing real hardship. I mean, when I talk to people on the street and they'll see me and they say, why do you keep saying, Steve, that inflation is only eight and a half percent? They say, my gas price is up 70 percent. My electric bills are up 50 percent. My food prices are up 25 percent. My more, I mean, my, uh, you know, rental payments are up 30 percent. So the real inflation, Tony, that families are feeling for, for buying the essentials, th- that is two or three times higher than the official inflation rate. And that's what hurts the working poor or I mean, the working it. class uh, more is that they feel this every day. They got to go stop at the store on the way to uh, on the way home, pick up a gallon of milk, got to get gas in the car. So they're seeing this every day. This is what has to be, I think, frightening the Democrats is that voters are seeing, feeling, experiencing this on a real time basis. Yeah, you know, and my frustration, Tony, as you know, I worked as for a senior economist for Donald Trump, and I didn't agree with everything Trump did, but I did. I do think on the economy, he did a really amazing job. Mm-hmm. And I'm here to tell you, I, I honestly believe if Donald Trump were still president and we hadn't made that mistake in November of 2020, I think the economy would be absolutely booming right now. Booming. Oh. We we wouldn't be we wouldn't have six dollar gas prices. We wouldn't be having to get, have these tankers send gasoline and oil from Russia. We wouldn't have. I don't recall any supply chain problems when Trump was president. Do you? No, I think you're absolutely right. In fact, that sets up my next question for you because in this piece, the president, essentially President Biden, passes the buck, at least this is the way I read it, to the Federal Reserve because they have primary responsibility in controlling inflation. Well, he created the mess. I understand they have mon- they have monetary policy. They can do certain things, but he created the mess with his policies. Yeah, this is important for people to understand what happened. So Biden came in, and by the way, you know, Trump put a lot of money into the economy as well during the COVID crisis. So we had a trillion dollars in the pipeline when Biden came into office. Then he spends $3 trillion on top of that. And where did that money come from? Well, that we had to borrow it. And then where did the, who, you know, who bought the bonds? The Fed did, and they printed money to do it. So the Fed accommodated all this extra spending. And of course, that led to it very predictably, this high inflation. So in my opinion, Tony, I think the Fed and Biden are kind of partners in crime here in creating this inflation prices, which, by the way, is not going away. Today, the price of oil on the international markets hit $110, uh, I mean, almost $120 a barrel, which is one of the highest ever in in the history of our country. Uh, that brings the next point. That's probably the last one I can ask you about. But the, yeah. the Congressional Budget Office, he was saying this in his op-ed, the Congressional Budget Office projected the deficit will fall by $1.7 trillion this year. He is touting the largest reduction of the deficit in history. Well, that was one-time spending. That was supposed to be one-time spending for COVID relief. How can you say that you're reducing the deficit when that was simply one-time spending for an emergency. You're not cutting spending. There's no president in modern times who has increased the debt in the first 15 months of office more than Joe Biden. It's actually almost laughable that he keeps claiming that he's some kind of fiscal conservative when we've had trillions and trillions and trillions of debt added in just his first 15 months. And you're right. You know, we started with this very high level of spending because of covid obviously, and and the spending was going to go down. And now he's taking credit for that, when actually the thing that really 
in my opinion, most effectively dealt with with uh, with the COVID situation was Operation Warp Speed, which actually, yeah. as I recall, was a Donald Trump pro- program. Right, right. Uh, Steve Moore, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us today here on Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. All right. Uh, Steve's one of those guys I go to for uh, kind of his read on the economy. He's been doing this for uh, for quite some time. Look, you can't believe you got to you got to really ferret through what the politicians are saying, especially under this administration. All right. Coming up, the 75th World Health Assembly has concluded its week long gathering and wrapped up on Saturday. And what were the conclusions? Will the health organization be getting more power and authority as was proposed? Well, we're going to talk about this after the break. Don't go away. More Washington Watch still ahead. Most of us have at least one friend or family member who is pro-choice or have engaged with someone who doesn't share our pro-life views. As Christians, we are called to defend the weak and to speak truth in love. When we advocate for the unborn, we must do so in a way that is both honest and loving. At Family Research Council, we recognize the inherent dignity of every human life, from conception until natural death. The value of human life is not conditional upon its usefulness to others or an arbitrary evaluation of a person's quality of life. Rather, the value of human life is unconditional because God, the author of life, has created all humans in his image. FRC's Center for Human Dignity exists to give a voice to the voiceless by helping others speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Access our free resources at frc.org life so that you can address abortion, human trafficking, pornography, and more. Attention university students, do you feel called to promote faith, family, and freedom in public policy and the culture? Are you hoping to grow in Christian leadership? Then join Family Research Council for an unforgettable internship. FRC's 12 to 15 week internship program is designed to educate university students who are passionate about public service and who believe that a biblical worldview is necessary for government to serve the people and for culture to thrive. As an intern, you work alongside FRC's experts who will invest in your personal and professional development as you prepare to make a kingdom impact in the world. This paid internship offers free housing in D.C., allowing you to experience community with other faithful conservatives in the nation's capital. For more information and to apply, visit frc.org internships. That's frc.org internships. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us on this Tuesday afternoon. On Saturday, the World Health Assembly, that's the the, uh, decision-making body of the uh, World Health Organization, they concluded their week-long gathering in Geneva and uh, proposed amendments that would have given more power and authority to the WHO apparently didn't see the light of day after a chorus of opposition sounded out over the prospect of giving the reins to this group that gave cover to the Chinese Communist Party and set on their hands when COVID-19 was beginning to spread. Now, there was a lot of uh, consternation at the last minute from Capitol Hill here in Washington, but other countries joined in in opposition as well. So 
What's next now that uh, last week's assembly has concluded? Here to tell us is James Rogowski. He is a member of the Law and Committee uh, Activism Committee at the World Council for Health, who has been closely, closely tracking the developments there. James, welcome to Washington Watch. Well, thank you very much for having me. There's so much to talk about. Which topic, uh, you know, subtopic of this would you like me to go for? You jump right in and give me the most important first. Well, um, I, th I think you already explained that the um, the desires of the Biden administration in, in terms of what they had presented went down to an absolutely stunning defeat. And there were actually documents that were submitted on Tuesday and got um, debated and discussed in back rooms all through the week and were adopted on Friday of, of last week that actually gave more control and more sovereignty to nations as opposed to the WHO. So in my wildest dreams, uh, you know, my, my prayers came, came true and a cherry on top with, you know, going in the other direction where the, the smaller nations, African nations and, and, and many others, um, negotiated to get, you know, more power away from the WHO, which was just absolutely wonderful. Now, going forward, uh, and, and this is something that I've been telling everybody um, that I was not talking about prior to today, was all of the negotiations for a proposed pandemic treaty, right. which they may start calling uh, accords or, or, or something like that, some terminology which there have been millions of words written by all kinds of organizations for, you know, negotiating a new document, a treaty that would give just enormous control and enormous powers to the uh, WHO that there's going to be in uh, the middle of June, a public comment period that uh, boy, are they going to be in for a, a shock when the people speak again uh, in, in terms of, you know, what would you want uh, a worldwide pandemic treaty to include in terms of giving power and sovereignty over to a, a one world health organization? Um, I think the people are going to have um, plenty to say about that, and I'm certainly going to try to help them. Well, and, and we will as well. And just for clarity for folks, as we talked about this going into last week, there were two things we were concerned about. One was the amendment to the regulations, which you said went down in defeat. And then secondly, was this treaty that's being talked about that is still prospective, that's in the future. Now, is there a chance that they revisit these regulations? I heard something about another meeting, possibly another special meeting that's going to be held. Is there anything to that? Um, I, I actually see it as a positive outgrowth. Um, rather than have amendments be kind of in secret and, you know, hopefully pop up and get passed with, without much debate, uh, it appears that they're going to have a working group that will meet in November. Now, that's different than the full assembly. Mm -hmm. So this working group will meet in November, and all nations will be encouraged to submit uh, uh, amendments to the regulations by September 30th. The, the working group will discuss that, present it in January of next year to be considered a year from now in, in the 76th assembly. And so that's something that I think actually is, a, is you know, could be a bad thing, but it's really a good thing in, in that now it's a, a process where everybody's paying attention. Right. And everyone uh, getting their eyeballs on this this time around 
has made it so that you just can't try to hide something and sneak it through. But that's, um, that's off in the future. Um, what's happening right now is there will be a meeting of the um, intergovernmental negotiating body at the end of July to discuss um, what they hope to have as a first draft of a pandemic treaty by August 1st. So, and so in the, in the middle of June, we're going to get to weigh in on, on that and we'll certainly uh, do so. Very, very quickly, James, we're almost out of time. So what's that time frame of that treaty? They have the, this language in August. What's the next step then? They've been saying that, you know, they hope to present that in 2024, in May 2024. And so, you know, my perspective right now is uh, go to stoptheWHO.com and learn about the proposals that are being discussed. And if you do that, you will just be amazed at how they're just trying to take over absolutely every aspect of society. Um, StopTheWho.com. Very good. Uh, James, I want to thank you for the great job you've uh, been doing sounding the alarm over this. I think the attention that this gathered prior to the assembly made all the difference uh, in the world. And uh, we're going to continue to track this. So look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank you very much. All right, folks, you made a difference once again by raising your voices and expressing concern. The Biden administration was uh, basically... I'm not going to say they backed off, but they were forced to drop it because the opposition was just so strong. Coming up, is it the job of pastors and preachers to to deny communion to congregants that promote policies and actions that are, well, just counter to Scripture? Now, what what we're going to share after the break may shock Whoopi Goldberg. So stay tuned. We're coming back with more after this. Religious liberty is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's own choosing and to live in accordance with those beliefs. It is an inherent human right. Therefore, Family Research Council's Center for Religious Liberty strives to advance religious liberty for all people of all faiths. Advocates for strong religious liberty protections are often labeled bigots. But for those familiar with the history of religious liberty in the United States, until recently, it was embraced by a majority of Americans. In fact, religious liberty has historically had bipartisan support. Today, efforts to restrict this freedom have become increasingly common. Therefore, Christians need to articulate with greater clarity why we support religious liberty and why all people are served when religious liberty thrives. Access the Center for Religious Liberty's free resources to learn more at frc.org slash religious liberty. In today's culture, there are few examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need a model of leadership, strength, courage, and sacrificial love that they can look to. But where can they find it? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong, biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do 
and we'll invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have the generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. At Family Research Council, we want to be able to keep you informed on our latest resources and events. Due to the growing threat of tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've created a tech subscription platform so that we can stay connected. So if we get canceled, you can continue to receive updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. And as I mentioned, uh, some news tomorrow, so tune in. After over 30 years, the Washington Update, which is the uh, the, the, the email that uh, is sent out from me and from other writers here at FRC, is going away. But it's being replaced with something else. So tune in tomorrow to find out about it. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who professes to be a practicing Catholic, is now being barred from communion in at least four dioceses. Just a week after the Archbishop of San Francisco denied her communion over her avid support of abortion, which runs counter uh, to the Bible and Catholic teaching. And now more Roman Catholic bishops are stepping out in support of the decision. Now, Speaker Pelosi, in response, has defended her abortion stance and criticized the church for not taking action on Catholics who support the death penalty. Now, this has attracted the attention of uh, of a lot of people, including, um, I'm not sure how I would define her, Whoopi Goldberg. I, I, I don't know what she is, but... Um, I mean, she has a TV program. Uh, I wouldn't call her a celebrity. I would call her, well, she's just off her rocker is what I would say. But this is what she had to say about uh, the archbishop's decision. This is not your job, dude. (laughs) That is not, you can't, that is not up to you to make that decision. It's not your job, dude. It's not the job of a priest to exercise church discipline. So, wow, there's so much there. Joining me now to talk about this and uh, more related to this decision is David Clawson, FRC's director of our Center for Biblical Worldview. David, welcome back to the program. Great to be with you, Tony. Um, You know, I don't even know where to start with that. But is this archbishop not exercising the type of church discipline that Paul uh, wrote about, uh, for, in one example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is, Tony. I think faithful Catholics, as well as non-Catholics, I'm a Southern Baptist, uh, but I'm really grateful for the Archbishop of San Francisco to take this action, because this is exactly his job. 
Uh, the job of an archbishop or of a pastor or of a priest, anyone in church authority, is, is twofold, really, Tony. One is to offer pastoral care to their members, and two is to defend uh, church doctrine. And this is exactly what the archbishop uh, did in San Francisco. One, uh, and he made this very clear in a public letter that he wrote uh, to Speaker Pelosi. He said, after trying to contact her six times privately, he said, my hand was kind of forced. I, I had to bar you from receiving uh, communion because I'm concerned about the state of your soul, and I know I'm going to have to give an account for the state of your soul. And, and Roman Catholic theology, Tony, uh, that's the role of an archbishop or a priest. They're responsible uh, for the, those that are in their diocese. And so, one, he, he's concerned about the state of her soul, and he, and he tells her that in a very uh, kind and pastoral way. Uh, but then the other role of a church leader is to defend church doctrine. And uh, the Roman Catholic Church uh, has been clear on where they stand on the life issue for 2,000 years. So, Tony, in response to Whoopi Goldberg, uh, this archbishop is doing exactly what he should be doing. And also, if you, if you, if a, as a pastor, as a priest, you don't address these issues that are antithetical to Scripture, and and you allow a profile, a high-profile person to do it, then they will interpret that as it's not a big deal. It's okay. I can do the same thing or hold the same position. No, that's absolutely right. And actually, what our, the Archbishop did that's really helpful, he actually called the Speaker's insistence on being so pro-abortion as a scandal. Now, in Roman, Catholic, in Roman Catholicism, in their theology, that word scandal means something. And what it means is this, this is not only uh, putting her soul in grave danger, uh, those who see her example, it's putting them in danger too because looking at someone who's uh, outspoken as a Catholic, they, other Catholics might think, oh, well, if Nancy Pelosi can receive communion and be a, a member of good standing, then maybe the church isn't that serious on the issue of abortion. So in these letters that the archbishop wrote to Speaker Pelosi, to other members of his diocese, and he wrote another letter to the priest that he oversees, he said what Pelosi is doing is a scandal. It's not good for her soul, and it's not good for the souls of other Catholics. And so, again, he's being very clear. All right, so now that I've brought that up, and I think most of our listeners would probably agree, I want to go to an area that uh, may be controversial. I actually talked about this uh, last week when I had Dr. Moeller on the program talking about the scandal, if you will, in the Southern Baptist Convention. But I, but I want to first, I want to read, I made reference to this, but I want to read just a couple of verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, this was Paul talking about immorality in the church. Body has to be dealt with. And this was an incestuous relationship. It was a sexual relationship would tend to be you know, very prevalent. Usually it, sur- it uh, surrounds money or uh, sex is usually what brings down uh, people. Uh, chapter 5, verse 11, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? So, you know, he says, I'm not worried about what's happening outside the church, but those who would claim membership, I have, uh, you have, he says to the local church, you have a duty to break fellowship with him when they're unrepentant. And so I, I made this point with Dr. Moeller last week, and I, 
I think it is absolutely at the heart of the problem that we see not just in the Catholic Church with the scandals that they had. I see it within the Baptist Church, the Protestant Church, the broader evangelical church, is the lack of church discipline that we don't confront these things because uh, we're, we're conflict-adverse. Uh, we want people inside. You know, we want, we want more people to come into the church, but we don't want to disciple them and discipleship sometimes requires discipline. It does, Tony. And, and you know, speaking as a Southern Baptist uh, who's been a member of a Southern Baptist church since I was dedicated as an infant, the 31 years in Southern Baptist churches, I didn't actually see uh, church discipline and excommunication happen until I was 30 years old, uh, until just last year at my church here, uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., and I think that I talked to my friends who uh, about you know who are involved in other churches. Uh, they've never seen a church uh, enact discipline on a member. And I think you're absolutely right. Too many pastors are scared to death of offending people, and we're not taking seriously enough what God's word says. And that gets back to what you and I have talked about a lot: the need for pastors to be discipling their people. And, you know, it's not a huge surprise. Last week, George Barnum was on the show, and he said, you know, only 51% of evangelical pastors have a biblical worldview. And so I'm actually not that surprised that we see so few instances of church discipline, because even our a lot of our pastors are not thinking biblically through every issue that we deal with. You see, what that is, having a biblical worldview, and fortunately about three-quarters of Southern Baptist pastors have a biblical worldview— mm-hmm is that you are looking at these things through the lenses of Scripture. And the Bible gives us clarity on exactly what we do. I've been yes. involved in two cases of uh, issues that needed to be addressed in terms of church discipline. One of them happened to be a pastor that I was a part of having to, to confront over this. But we followed the biblical model. There is biblical guidance. I think part of the challenge is we're influenced by the culture, we're in, in the culture, in part, is the legal system. We're afraid of uh, being sued or, or some other legal action when the Bible must be preeminent in the way we conduct business. And I go back to Whoopi, Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg's uh, comments because I, I did that not just because I think she's crazy, but because I think it makes a point. If the church... The church is criticized, the Southern Baptists criticized justifiably so for what uh, was announced last week. But had they been practicing church discipline, which the Catholic archbishop was doing and was criticized by the culture for doing, I mean, we need to, to quit listening to the critics and do what the Word of God says. And that means those within the, the, the walls of the church, those that are a part of the membership, you know, part of that is it, it, it's... I, Somehow people think discipline is a, um, is a negative thing. It is a positive thing that can enrich our lives by helping us see the blind spots that we're not seeing and make a course correction so that we might enjoy the blessings of God. Yeah, you're right. And again, we talk about a biblical worldview uh, quite often. That's, uh, last week was our one-year anniversary for our Center for Biblical Worldview. It's important to everything we do at FRC. But you're right, Tony. The Bible gives us blueprints for all of these things. Matthew 18 right. uh, on how to reconcile that's how differences. That's, how that's what uh, we follow. First Corinthians chapter 5, which you just mentioned at the top of this segment. Uh, the Bible lays out, and, and the purpose of church discipline is not to make someone feel ostracized or make them feel bad. It's actually to draw them back. 
exactly. one of the neatest things I've ever experienced, Tony, again, I've seen a couple of instances of church discipline, was someone who we excommunicated for an immoral lifestyle, and several months later they came back and repented, and they, one of the things that got their attention was the fact that someone had told them they were living out of step right. with the gospel. And see, if you ignore that, which has been the tendency, then not only does that individual think it's okay, but others take their cues from that as as well. And, and that's what the archbishop and another denominator, the Catholic Church, was getting at. One of the reasons he felt obligated, he felt like he had to write this public letter to Speaker Pelosi, is because of all of these other Catholics who are looking at what she's doing and think, well, if the Speaker is able to do this and she considers herself devout, um, and, and faithful, then it must the, the church must not take this issue that seriously. And the archbishop said he's fearing for her soul, he's fearing for his own soul, and other souls. So again, I'm not a Catholic, but uh, praise God that he's giving us an example of what a church leader ought to do when someone in their care is going wayward. And, and this is a very, very uh, politicized issue, abortion. Um, I mean, he's been roundly criticized. I'm, I'm you know, I've, I've read some. I'm sure personally he's experienced some of this. But for him, th- this was not, for these bishops, not just the archbishop, th- th- this, these are not political issues. These are moral and they're spiritual issues. And I, I, we say this all the time, and I'll say it again to pastors, to Christians, to churches. These issues are first and foremost spiritual. There's, there's nothing that happens in this city, in Washington, D.C., that is not under the purview or concern of God. And we need not shrink back or hesitate to speak truth into these arenas just because someone has planted a flag and declared it political. You're absolutely right. And there are just some issues, Tony, that we've talked about that, you know, the Bible doesn't give exact principles on every single issue, but there are some issues that there's a thus saith the Lord on the issue of the definition of marriage, on the the sacredness and personhood of the unborn. There's a chapter and verse that we can point to. And that's why, again, we we can't shrink back. If, If we shrink back, if we give that up, then we don't even have a Christianity that we can recognize anymore. And so we we got to be clear. And and while I'm on this uh, this path, let me go just a little bit further. Mm-hmm. When we talk about church discipline, which I think is critical, and I, I think parents also need to be affirmed and empowered to disciple and discipline their children. There there are many parents that are afraid. They're literally afraid. I've talked to them. I know this is real. I'm not making this up. They're afraid because the, the child might say something to a teacher and social services might show up at the door. And now this is only being magnified when you have an administration that is encouraging teachers and administrators not to tell parents about you know, uh, issues regarding their gender and sexuality to be, to be discussed. So parents, it's like they're handcuffed. And I'm t- Christian parent, you have been given a child and you've been given the authority and the responsibility to raise that child and you need to exercise biblical discipleship and discipline in the home. No, absolutely. When we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, Tony, I think, you know, a biblical worldview, this is a biblical worldview covers all issues that we deal with, whether it's the issues that you and I deal with on a daily basis, like religious freedom and abortion, but education, discipling, catechizing your children. Uh, the Bible literally gives us a template for how to do this. That is the parents' responsibility to see themselves as the chief disciple makers in their home. And, and it's, I love Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it's, when you're sitting down, when you're walking in 
the way, when you're lying down, when you're rising up, there's nothing yep. not covered. And, and so, you know, I was just, I think about that often because especially with my, uh, my young son, my youngest son, who, uh, who now hangs out with dad because the others are kind of uh, older, uh, we, we have conversations about everything and we apply the scripture. You know, we, we will have a discussion about any topic that seems to pop up, and we say, well, well I'll ask him those questions. What, what does the Word of God have to say about that? And helping him to understand that from a biblical uh, perspective. Yeah, and there's so many issues that just come up in normal conversation. I think a lot of parents that sometimes I talk to think, oh, this whole discipling and biblical worldview inculcation sounds kind of academic and intellectual. It's, it's not really. No. It's just talking about the issues you would normally talk about, but being intentional about pointing to the Bible. We're almost out of time, so you have some resources available to help parents in those conversations. We do. They're at frc.org slash worldview. And in the, in the next couple of months, Tony, we're hoping to release more resources, even a curriculum, uh, to help parents and pastors address the issues we've talked about just now and others all through the lens of Scripture. So frc.org slash worldview. All right, David Clawson, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, dropping by the studio today. Thank you, Tony. All right. And folks, I want to thank you for joining us as well. But I do want to encourage you to check out uh, frc.org. And I just want to encourage you to have those conversations with your with your children. They can be adult children and at the workplace. I mean, interject Scripture. I mean, they don't have any hesitation interjecting their worldview. Be bold. Be courageous, be obedient to God, and be salt and be light right where he has placed you. All right, again, tomorrow's special announcement, so you won't want to miss that. So tune in tomorrow for another edition of Washington Watch. Until then, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians chapter 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand... By all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action, For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.